Hey everybody, this is Thomas Boer. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the PCA General Assembly, uh, my own experiences in the PCA, where I see the PCA going from here and how they should get there. Uh, touching on uh, Kevin DeYoung's speech at the Gospel Reformation Network just prior to the GA, which was really good, um, condemning uh, not just same-sex attraction as sin and sinful, but really giving, laying out um, homardiology, the doctrine of sin, and explaining uh, biblically, uh, confessionally, uh, and historically in the Reformed, uh, well, in the Reformation, Calvin and others, that we've always understood um, even uh, unwanted uh, desires that are contrary to the Word of God, the law of God, to be in themselves sinful and sin, even prior to um, our wills uh, consenting to them, if you want to put it like that. Even if they don't consent to them, uh, it's still sin and sinful in and of itself. Um, I had actually already made a recording on this, but wanted to make this one briefer, hopefully in 10 minutes or less, and also um, to speak very uh, carefully about my own experience in the PCA, particularly um, five years ago when I was striving to come under care. Um, you know, what happened at that time, I was approved to come under care. This was, I think, 2014. And then within weeks or so, it was rescinded. Um, the official stated reason that I got after some back and forth, after my session defended me over against the candidates and licensure uh, committee, uh, the official reason they gave for revoking my um, coming under care in that particular presbytery was that my speech was not humble or gracious enough. 2019 now, they probably would have say would say it wasn't winsome enough. They pointed out uh, two particular blog posts that I had made, um, one about uh, my views on pastors preaching in jeans, that that's not really uh, fitting for a minister of God and so on. And I'm not here to debate the particulars of that. If you want to link to what I wrote there and, and, and so on, I can show it to you. Um, my point is that what was put on the official document for my reasons for not coming under care and what they actually said to me, not documented off the record, weren't entirely the same thing. The first interview I had when I tried to come under care, I was asked, do you see yourself as a purifying influence in the PCA? And five years ago, I had no idea that there needed to be a purifying influence in the PCA. So my answer was something like, well, no, not particularly. Why do you ask? Well, I went to Greenville Seminary at that time. I think that itself would put a red flag on some of the progressives uh, in the progressives mind, even five years ago, certainly. And um, so, you know, I got that question. I was also asked uh, about my views on homosexuality. And again, I, five years ago, I thought that the Nashville statement, if it was voted on, you know, 90% plus would have no problem signing off on something like the Nashville statement. That was my mentality five years ago. I thought the PCA was pretty rock solid for the most part at that point, even though there's some things like at Covenant College I experienced 10 years ago that should have cast some doubt in my mind, even five years ago. Uh, I still thought the PCA was, you know, pretty much rock solid, maybe just a few um, divergent churches, a few places, maybe a few differences in worship, but uh, doctrinally we'd all be, you know, spot on. Well, of course, I've <laughs> come to see that's not really the case progressively over time, especially in the last five years. And um, But anyway, when I was trying to come under care five years ago, 
you know, I responded to that question about homosexuality. I said, well, you know, I don't need, I don't think that people are necessarily born gay. Um, I thought that would not be controversial at all. Uh, several didn't care for that one in particular was like, well, are you going to have an issue with those in this presbytery who believe like myself that, you know, people very well are born gay and, uh, you know, he didn't say necessarily they had a gay gene, but he was saying that people are born, uh, homosexual, same sex attracted and so on. And I was like kind of taken aback by that, but I said, well, no, I'm not, you know, as long as we're affirming that this is sin, uh, you know, the attraction to itself must be repented of. I'm not trying to, um, you know, seek some kind of discipline against these these people, these members, and so on. So that was interesting uh, that that was brought up. And um, subsequent to that, probably the next presbytery meeting a few months after that, and again, this is all roughly five years ago, there was a presbytery meeting in this presbytery that I was in. Uh, this is how um, the progressives have been, I would say, very clever and in their own way wise about not tipping their hand or getting it where it would show up you know, documented in the minutes or something, and yet still being discussed off the record. Um, they announced during Presbytery, during a session in Presbytery, that over lunch, there would be a discussion among elders led by a particular uh, teaching elder about homosexuality and what to do with those who, you know, are homosexuals coming to your church. And so we, we, me, my dad was a ruling elder at the time in my church, and my pastor at the time all went into this just to hear about what would be said. And this is what really blew the lid off for me, um, even after the issues with trying to come under care and having that revoked for not having officially on the record saying I didn't have a humble enough, you know, tone and, and all that. Um, at this <laughs> roundtable discussion, these elders are like, flummoxed and perplexed and sweating bullets. And, you know, many of them are just really stressed out about what to do, you know, with those who are in homosexual relationships. So I'm not talking about gay but celibate. I'm not talking about side B Christianity. I'm talking about side A full-blown, you know, people who are either in a gay marriage or at least in a gay relationship practicing, you know, homosexual sex, uh, even with children in, in this relationship. And, and these elders aren't sure what to do. Some are suggesting perhaps we can allow them to become members, that unrepentant practicing homosexuals can be brought in as members. The justification for this was that, one of the justifications was that King David was an unrepentant practicing polygamist his whole life. This was just a glaring blind spot for him, but surely we would let him be a member in our churches, even under those conditions. After all, don't we all have blind spots, some said, at this meeting, at this roundtable discussion, such as greed or pride. Um, and yet we still are greedy and prideful every day. Therefore, perhaps we can let these practicing unrepentant homosexuals become members. Maybe they're transferring in from the PCUSA and have been reading Matthew Vines. This is just a blind spot for them. We'll work with them while they're members. Um, some were very much indicating uh, they weren't just struggling with doing this, but that they were probably going to you know, do this if they weren't already practicing this um, in reality. Very few seemed to be alarmed by this. Me, my father, and my pastor were. Maybe one other was alarmed. One other maybe had a few cautions. But out of the 15 or 20 there, at least 75-80% certainly thought this was a legitimate discussion to have. And at least some seemed in favor of doing it. Well, we were alarmed. We reported this back to our other elders. We asked the guy who led this discussion 
can you and some others please come down to our church so we can talk about this later on that year they did um it was more muddled and confusing this was at the meeting uh, at this meeting um the guy who led the roundtable discussion came to this meeting at our church and i asked him well, what do you think romans 1 has to say about all this and these you know unnatural desires and vile passions and so on Earlier, he had told us that he was appointed to study this by his church for a year, spent a year studying it, read 60 books on the issue. So I thought Romans 1 would be something he studied thoroughly. His response to me was, you know what? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about what Romans 1 has to say on this issue. Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, at that point, for sure, my mind was made up that um, pursuing ministry in the PCA was just not something I wanted to do. And, and keep in mind, this was five years ago before, you know, Revoice was even a thought, at least by anybody, you know, who uh, beyond maybe the founders of it, maybe they had it dreamed up back then, but nobody even knew anything about Revoice. This was five years ago. Um, so that, all that went down. And, and I, you know, I want to give that as a backdrop to what's been happening at the General Assembly this year in this past week um, to share some thoughts on that. One other anecdote I want to share is even further back in time, 10 years ago, uh, when I was at Covenant College as a student for all of uh, two weeks, uh, I believe it was the very first class. If it wasn't the first class, it was the first or second class. Um, I believe it was a psychology class. And the professor there, for whatever reason, chose to open up right away about how his friend was such a hero uh, for, though he was struggling with same-sex attraction, you know, had been in some homosexual relationships, I don't remember if it was before or after he was a Christian. It doesn't really matter. Now he's saying at this point in his life, he, you know, supposedly repented, got married to a woman. Okay, good. Praise God. But then my professor said, uh, this Covenant College professor, College of the PCA professor said, this man, my friend, is a hero for marrying a woman, even though he still occasionally cheats on her with men. Still a hero because he, you know, did the hard thing of, of marrying a woman though he was not faithful um, to her and was still practicing cheating on her with men in some homosexual way. Now, he didn't clarify if that meant by cheating, if he meant having sex with men or just flirting with men or what, but it was something unfaithful. I I questioned the the heroicness of this man, um, why we would play, you know, patty cake and sort of, uh, make heroes out of those who are struggling with serious sin, what Romans one calls a vile passion. Um, you know, it didn't go very far with them. And I was just, I just remember walking out of that in a daze. And uh, one of the girls that was in the class was like, wow, thank you for saying all that. I was really confused and concerned about what he was saying. And I believe she maybe mentioned that her dad was a pastor or something. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, this is just crazy. <laughs> and, uh, that and other things, you know, I experienced at Covenant College was, was so poor, uh, especially among the student body. But that's a different story that I realized, okay, this is not what I expected. I had to hightail it out of there. Um, so that 10 years ago at Covenant College and then five years ago trying to come under care uh, in the PCA were two very traumatic events. I've had others since in the PCA, but um, that led me to look for other avenues for pastoral ministry. I'm now licensed in a small denomination. With that backdrop, uh, a small Presbyterian denomination that's called the Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church, but with that backdrop, um, 
I say all that to say what's going on at the General Assembly now has been bubbling underneath the surface, but maybe not so much underneath the surface at Covenant College, probably at Covenant Seminary, probably for a couple decades, um, quite possibly. You know, you don't get a vote after an hour-long ferocious debate on the Nashville Statement at GA, and you only win to get approved uh, the Nashville Statement as a biblically faithful statement by the small margin of 262 votes, you don't get that in a whole denomination without years of compromise and elders compromising and drifting. Um, it, that just doesn't happen by accident, by fluke. Uh, this this is something that has been, um, the progressives have been working at and eroding faithfulness to the word of God for, for a long time since, you know, 20 years, I would say at least. So, you know, what do we, what do we think about that? What do we do about that? Well, as I mentioned at the top of this um, little update or whatever you want to call this here, Kevin DeYoung, I found online, someone pointed me to it. I think it was Todd Pruitt on Facebook posted Kevin DeYoung's speech at the Gospel Reformation Network. It's really good. I commend it to you highly. Um, I've been told in Kevin DeYoung's book on sexuality, homosexuality and stuff. He does not address same-sex attraction, but in this speech he does. He more broadly addresses um, unwanted uh, desires, attractions, affections that are contrary to the word of God, to the law of God, and says, look, they're all sin. They're all sinful, even if you don't consent to them, even if you don't you know, consciously summon them. The fact that you merely have them is sin. Is sin. And he's very clear on that. And he lays that out biblically and confessionally and historically. It's wonderful. My question then is, why did Kevin DeYoung and others uh, who are faithful in the PCA not bring this up clearly and forthrightly um, on the floor at GA? I know Kevin DeYoung spoke. I know Richard Phillips and others spoke at least once. Um, I heard Kevin DeYoung on the floor speak about um, how we need to be winsome. And he said some other good things, but he did, he did not speak um, as pointedly and as clearly and as powerfully as he did in this, you know, I can't remember, 45, 50 minute speech, uh, pre-conference or pre-GA speech for the GRN. I'm sure there's strategy in that. I'm sure we can say that, well, in three or five minutes on the floor of GA, you can't say what you can say in a 45 minute speech. I, I grant all that. I'm sure that you can argue, well, let's wait till the study committee comes out or, you know, we can work on this together um, you know, strategically, this will win the moderates over. We have to be careful how we say things. And, and certainly at some level, there's a time and a place for that. But um, isn't the GRN's theme a time to stand? Well, let's stand now. We're 20 years at least probably uh, too late to the game here. Um, it's one thing for uh, those far away from our denomination seminary and other seminaries Reform seminaries to not be aware of what's going on. But for those who are entrusted with protecting the flocks in the, the PCA churches, how does this happen? We should be grieving. If you want to talk about something to lament or as a whole denomination to repent of and grieve, it's how we've allowed this rot uh, to seep into our church. Um, so think about how the Nashville statement doesn't even address, doesn't broach, is very winsome, if you will, uh, and doesn't even address the topic of same-sex attraction being sinful in and of itself. It sort of punts on that issue and just says it's not 
you know, God's original intent, but doesn't call it sin. Well, those in Revoice are willing to say that same-sex attraction is a result of the fall and is disordered. But they're not willing to say, to my knowledge, I don't think any of them are willing to say that it's sin, that it's sinful. Like, how could it be sinful, they would say. We're not consenting to it. Well, even the children's catechism says, you know, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And then it says, what is meant by want of conformity? Not being or doing what God requires. Even the children's catechism recognizes that you can, in your very state of being, be sinful, be committing sin, if you want to put it in those words. Um, and yet we have... What appears to be, I would say optimistically, at least half of those who show up at General Assembly, and we know that, what, 80% of them are teaching elders, probably conservatively half of our teaching elders um, don't believe or aren't willing at least to vote in keeping with their belief that same-sex attraction is in, in and of itself sinful, that unwanted affections that violate the law and standard of God are in themselves sinful, even if we don't ever uh, consciously or volitionally consent to it. Just having those attractions welling up within us, that of itself is sin and sinful and something that needs to be repented of. Either at least half of our teaching elders, it seems, does not agree with that, and therefore they have uh, sub-confessional heterodox views, more of a Roman Catholic view on concupiscence uh, concerning homardiology concerning the doctrine of sin, at least half, it seems, are compromised on the very doctrine of sin, which allows, gives the space for revoice to get off the ground. Or um, they're cowards and they're afraid to stand for the truth. I, I don't know which is better or which is worse. Both, both is bad. So to try to get past a statement that actually condemns at the level of General Assembly, that actually condemns same-sex attraction of itself as sinful, I think is going to be exceedingly difficult. You might get it by the thinnest of margins, and praise God if you do, but I really, really have my doubts about that. And the final thing I'll say is, if you noticed, uh, at the uh, General Assembly this year, there was a part of the floor discussion and debate was, you know, at least indirectly, about good faith subscription and uh, candidates not being, uh, ministers not being allowed to uh, preach their convictions. If it, you know, doesn't strike at the vitals, but is more than semantic, but they're let in, they're trying to argue that, okay, well, then they, they should still be allowed to teach these exceptions. Uh, that's kind of a dangerous precedent to set, especially, I'm just wondering, and I don't know enough about this, somebody can correct me, but I'm just wondering if what they're trying to angle at here is getting good faith subscription loose enough, loose subscription so loose that it becomes reasonable to say, oh yes, um, we should be able to uh, grant exceptions to those who don't agree with uh, larger catechism, whatever the question number is, about you know the nature of sin, that um, same-sex attraction in and of itself is not sin, is not sinful. Um, we should be allowed to take that as an exception and teach that in our pulpits. I'm just wondering if they're angling for that. I'm also wondering, and I would put this forward as a caution to our, our brothers and elders in the PCA, what if they try to bring this up through the presbyteries and then to the General Assembly to get this sort of codified as an allowable exception to the standards? What do you do then? 
Because I think, quite honestly, potentially, they might even have the votes for that. Maybe not. Maybe they'd fall short, but they'd get some. I think they could really get a lot of votes for that. And if they if they got that through, and I don't know all the um, ways that they would have to go about to do that, but if they got that approved, well, then they by effect they've gotten revoice approved, and there's really nothing we can do about it except at that point probably split have to leave the, the denomination so it's very dangerous times in the pca the rot has been in there for a long time i pray that we would take a stand that we would if 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 kevin de young um thank god for what he said at the grn talks now follow through i would say please men exercise church discipline we heard what greg johnson said on the floor at ga he basically said that he is a gay but celibate christian we need to probe and find out even more clearly. He may have already said it publicly. I think that he has. But if they find these same-sex attractions not sinful, there, there is no way that men like that should be ministering in the PCA. Church discipline needs to be coming and coming swiftly. Anything less than that, and I'm afraid the PCA is just at best going to continue in a very compromised situation. Even if the study committee comes out and is rock solid, as rock solid as Kevin DeYoung's speech, I'm sorry, but I have my doubts that um, all the uh, those who are pushing same-sex attraction as viable and acceptable and revoice is fine and good and beautiful – I have my doubts that they're just going to play dead and roll over and leave the denomination. Maybe many of them will, and praise God if they do. But even if they do, and we're not pressing church discipline, that, that's still, I would argue, um, a matter of, un, of being unfaithful, of not being a good shepherd, because they're just going to flee to another denomination without having on their records you know, that, that at least church discipline was attempted. And I'm praying that we have that kind of boldness and that kind of faithfulness to the Word of God, Rather than trying to be winsome, which at that level would actually be sinful compromise, that is my prayer that would be faithful and righteous. I've already gone longer than I intended at 22 minutes, so I hope that you'll heed this and listen to this. And if you feel that it's good to spread it so others can hear it as well. Thanks.